between uh, now until Easter, our, our morning services are going to be following a theme uh, which I've given the title, The Love of God. Now, of course, that, that could be read in different ways. Um, it could be taken to mean the, the infinite love God has for the world. It could be that we are called to have God's love for the world or that we are called to love God. The reality is, of course, it's all three of those that we're going to be seeing. And uh, we'll hear them getting mentioned in, in the various readings this morning, uh, uh, the, the various readings between now and Easter. But now let's hear the reading this morning as Graham comes to bring the word. I think it was uh, a couple of weeks ago now that I uh, saw a programme on the telly where they were talking about a new recipe for Ribena. Uh, and the aim was to reduce the sugar but make the drink still taste the same. Therefore, making it obviously far more healthy than it currently already is. The research was done using people that have uh, really good taste buds so that they could sense tiny, subtle differences in the flavour of the different recipes that they were mixing up. They were looking for what could be termed the Goldilocks flavour. You know, not too bitter, not too sweet, but just right just matching what they thought people would want to drink. And of course, to do this, they had to know what the original taste was. They had to have a comparison. They had to have something that they could match it up with and say, this is what it should be. This is the flavor we are looking for. And eventually, after months of research, they claim to have found the right balance of a small amount of sugar and artificial sweetener that made the difference between old and new undetectable. At this point, I should point out that other soft drinks are available and that my dentist probably wouldn't recommend any of them but we should stick with the tap water. John's first letter, 1 John, which strangely doesn't have those introductory bits that most of the epistles um, normally have, tells us that we can only really know the flavour, we can only really know true love when we know God. Real love, not bitter, not overly sweet. True love is first experienced in the perfect love of God. The love that he has for us. Not because we've loved him, but because he first loved us. 
God makes this love. He makes this taste known to us through his son, Jesus. The gift of Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And it, he wasn't presented to the world because of how good we were. Not because we were perfectly free of sin already. Not because we are wonderful about praising God continually or as a reward for the service that we do. Jesus comes as a gift from God because God is love and he wants to rescue us from the disgusting mess that we continually put ourselves into. The Father sent the Son so that we can choose to have a way forward with a new, healthier flavor to life that otherwise we would not be able to find. This gift is very costly. Why did he not spare his son? Why give someone such a thing so precious? Why didn't he just leave us in the quagmire that humanity makes for itself? And the answer is God could not bear to leave us there because God is love and cares for us. Whoever we are, whatever we do, just like in that song that we sung while the children were still in, whether we're tall or whether we're very small, whether we're male or female, whoever we are, Whatever we look like, whatever we prefer in life, God loves us. God loves you. God had to rescue us. His very being is love itself. We sometimes say of people, you know, if you broke them in half like a stick of rocks from the seaside, you'd see something in the middle that says something about them. The thing you'd see with God is love. But God's love is not passive. It's not just thoughts saying, oh, I love that person. It's a very active love. True love is active. And the love that God has moves him to do things. This passage focuses on the, the love that we see revealed in Christ Jesus. But all through the Bible, throughout the pages, from the very beginning, we see God's love in action. Adam and Eve... They had sinned, they'd made themselves garments of fig leaves. But even as they're moved out of Eden, God gives them new clothes to wear. He gives them warm furs. 
the Israelites in the desert journeying to the promised land become unfaithful. They've sinned. They grumble all the time. They make false gods. But God doesn't decide to ignore them and leave them in the desert. They wander for longer. It's a new generation that finally crosses the Jordan. But throughout those 40 years, he's given them food. He's given them drink. He continues to bless. Those people that enter the promised land after the years of the judges, they say they want a king. They say they want to be like the other people. And God says, you know what? Kings are not a good idea. They'll take your money. They'll make you work. You'll end up worse off than you presently are. You don't want a king. But yet he gives them a king. And when that king doesn't work out, he gives them another. Because he is a loving God. And it's the story that goes on. He keeps hoping that the people will come back, that the people will go on the right path. And kings go wayward. And the people turn to exile. They are led there as captives. But God loves them and watches over them in exile and brings them home. And the temple is rebuilt. None of us are perfect, but God has love. God has love for all of humanity. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about our Heavenly Father, God sends his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. Doesn't matter who you are, the Lord cares for you and he causes the Son to rise. And he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God has love for all. And so should we. And we see the example of the sort of love that we should have in Jesus. Jesus ate and drank with the first century tax collectors. And when he did that, he was not approving of their methodology. He was not supportive of their oppressive regime that they were passing those funds onto. He was showing love as he met with the tax collectors. And as a result, we see Levi and Zacchaeus have transformed lives. When he stops a woman from being stoned to death for alleged adultery, he is not approving of sexual immorality. We know that because the words on that passage sort of finish with him saying to her, go and sin no more. But he is showing love. 
and he is causing others to repent. When the untouchables of society come for healing, he comes close to them. And he brings healing even on the Sabbath, much to the disgust of the lawmakers. He does it that day because that day is meant for the Lord's pleasure, for good, for love, for God's purpose. These examples of God's love in Old and New Testament show that love is not a remoteness, but a coming close. Love is not simply a feeling, but involves action. Love is not restricted to watching, but reaches out with a healing hand. If we hope to live with love like God's, then it is not simply about having passing thoughts for a situation and then moving on to the next thing. It's not simply about feeling sorry for what has happened, but then not responding. Love requires us to engage with what is happening in people's lives both near and far. And as we engage, that will cost us. It will cost us in time, in energy, perhaps in money, but not always, and not necessarily directly. But it does cost. And we see the cost to the Heavenly Father in the gift of Jesus the Son. Verse 12 of the passage reminds us that no living being has seen the Father. But we know the Almighty because of his love, his love revealed in Jesus. But also his love being revealed in his people. When we acknowledge God's love and seek to be in relationship with him, our own heart becomes aligned to God's ways. We start to have a heart, we start to have a sense of love that reaches out in the way that God reaches out. There is a change in who we are, and the Holy Spirit will be making us one with each other and at one with God, making us Christ's body here on earth. But even in the first century, as John is writing this letter, the church is not what it's supposed to be. He writes to the early church and they have the same issues that those of us in the church today have. Those of us that are to be in a one holy Catholic and apostolic church, a church that's actually full of splits 
and not always saying the right thing or doing the right thing. John is aware that members of the church say unkind things, that they do not live sacrificially putting others first, that the building of the kingdom is not going on in the way it's supposed to. Instead, the church he writes to are people that are thinking of themselves and not sharing love. We have to think firstly what God might desire and what the kingdom needs to grow rather than our own desire. John struggles with the fact that the brothers and sisters of God's royal family do not have love for one another. For if we do not have love, then have we really received the presence of God into our heart? If we cannot love our fellow believer, will we have love for the world? So if we can't love those that are the same as us, do we have love for those that are different? How will the whole world come to know the enormous height, width, and depth of God's love if we ourselves are not even loving within the church? How is it we respond when others frustrate our plans? What is it we say of people within a fellowship, within a church, that do things differently to how we feel it should be done? Why is it that we sometimes are full of grumpiness when we think of church, rather than being joyful in the Lord? Is it that everyone else in the world and everyone else in the church is wrong? Or is it maybe that our own hearts have not yet become full of the love that God wants us to know? Is it that we have to be journeying in God's direction, a direction that might be different from our own? That might be the case. You may be distant from God. But even if you are, God loves you. And that's why he sent his son. We don't get things right all the time. But God loves you. And he longs for your heart to be at one with his. For your love to have that flavor of Jesus' love. But whether it is or not, he still loves you. May you be aware of the fullness of that love this day.
and may your heart grow in a way that it more closely reflects the great love of God.